Amen. How's everyone doing good? Yeah, yeah God is good. Um, I had heard a story a long time ago uh, by a preacher that I really like called John Bevere. And he said that one day he was driving and all of a sudden the spirit of God came on him. And he, like God began to speak to him. His, his initial reaction was to keep driving. But then it just became so heavy he had to pull over on the side of the road and just let God speak to him. And he was saying that a lot of the times God will interrupt us because he wants to speak to us and that when he does, we need to just stop whatever we're doing and listen. I remember a few months ago, maybe, maybe a few weeks ago, I was in bed and uh, I was up really late. I went to bed probably around 10.30 or 11. Uh, eventually my wife passed out and about 2.30 in the morning, she opens her eyes and I'm reading the Bible and she's like, why are you up so late? I was like, it's all good, just go back to sleep. So the next day I told her, I was like, God was speaking to me and I wanted to get what he had to say, you know, in those moments. I mean, God always speaks to us, but, you know, there's those moments, though. Like, you know, I was wide awake in my spirit. I was like receiving everything he was telling me and I just wanted it. And I wasn't going to be like, all right, Lord, thank you for what you're trying to tell me. But right now I'm tired. You know, it's all it's midnight almost. And, you know, I got to work tomorrow and I got things to do. And so I'm about to go to bed. Instead, I just listened to what he had to say. And so there's moments like that where God just stops. He stops you in what you're doing, and he begins to speak to you. And today I had one of those moments in the presence of God. And it just changed me. And I pray that it would do in your heart what it did in my heart. You know, all of us, to some extent, are shepherds or preachers or ministers. All of us are ministers. Honestly, if you're a Christian, you've been anointed to be a minister. You might not ever preach behind a pulpit or be called to overseas missions, but you are called by God to be a minister of the gospel. And so, you know, when God begins to speak to you, you want to hear what he has to say. Amen? Amen. I want you to go to Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. And when you have it, say Amen. Now, I just want to say real fast, um, you know, it's like a website. If I give you a website and I say, go on, you know, www, you know, I, I have a dog. I have two dogs. I, I like to read a lot about dogs. So I'll go on a website, you know, www.dogs.com or howtotrainadog.com. And I'm sent to that website. But when I go to that website, it has all these other windows and it gets more in depth. You know, it'll say Rottweilers, Poodles, training, house training, how to stop barking, how to, and it has all these icons, right? Okay, so today I'm, I'm just giving you a general view. It's not extensive by any means, but I'm kind of pointing you to a website. And I pray that the Spirit of God will just enlighten you and just lead you to, you know, that this will just open something up in your heart and that it'll go where it has to go. Amen. So I know there'll be a lot of questions and you might be wondering afterwards, like, what about this? What about this? What about... It's all good. Let God deal with that. He'll show you. He'll lead you. Uh, but I'm just giving you a general overview. Luke 4:18 and 19, it says this. This is Jesus speaking because it's in red. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus speaking because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind 
to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I was reading Joshua this morning. Now all of a sudden, something, I just wanted to read something about Jesus. I, 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 wanted to get, I just wanted to see Jesus, you know. So I just opened it up to Luke or to Matthew. I just began to thumb through pages and I went to Luke. And all of a sudden, I saw this verse and I just began to read it. And all of a sudden, this passage jumps out at me. As I read this passage, the part where he says, he has anointed me, just jumped off the page. I'm reading it, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me and it just jumps off the page, grabs my attention. He has anointed me. And then He goes on to say what He was anointed to, to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He has anointed me. The next thought that came to my mind was, what has God anointed you to do? That's what God, that's what came to my mind. I began to do a lot of soul searching in my own heart. I knew exactly what God is getting at. God has made me a steward. He has given me stewardships. I've been blessed to be, I've been given a wonderful wife and four wonderful daughters. And I have a small business with six employees under my care. Four trucks. I have been given a ministry in the church to work with teenagers God's given me a stewardship of a lot of things. All of a sudden, I began to think about everything that God's given me. I began to ask God, okay, God, where are you getting at? All of a sudden, it triggered, it put me on a path to discovery. It was like a treasure, it was like a treasure hunt. I stopped what I was doing. I have a lot of things that need to get done. I mean, if you look at my desk, if you come to my house and see my desk, you will see there's a lot of things a brother got to do. But I understood that right now I have to get this. God is trying to speak to me and I got to get what he wants to say to me. So I began to just pray and ask God, asking the question, what does it mean to be anointed? What does it mean to be anointing? Anointed. The origin of anointing was from a practice of shepherds. Lice and other insects would often get into the wool of the sheep and they would get near the sheep's head. They would go into the sheep's ears and could kill them. So ancient shepherds poured oil on the sheep's head. This made the wool slippery, making it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ears because they would just slide off. From this, anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection and empowerment. Symbolic of blessing, protection, and empowerment. The New Testament Greek words for anoint are creo, which means to smear or rub with oil, and by implication to consecrate for office or religious service. Another one is alepho, which means to anoint. In Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or call in that person's life. If you read the Old Testament... You would read that they would anoint, they'd pour out on the oil, and it was basically a call to a specific purpose. They would anoint, when a person was anointed, they were anointed to be a king, a prophet, a builder, etc., etc. Another meaning for the word anointed is chosen one. To be chosen. Or the chosen one, talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 
So there's a lot of ways we could apply this, but today we're going to look at the term that implies the aspect of divine empowerment. Divine empowerment. And I know that's what God, when God told me that, I knew that's what he was getting at. What are you anointed for? Our text tells us Jesus was anointed, divinely empowered to preach good news, deliver, release, proclaim, free, etc., etc. I want you to go to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. And I just want to just kind of lay a foundation real quick. Exodus 35. How did you know Jesus was anointed? Because when he prayed for the sick, they got healed. When he taught, he'd have 5,000 people listening to him. They'd go days without eating. It said that even his enemies would say he does all things well. There was a divine empowerment in his life. In Exodus 35:30, let's look at what it says. It says this. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to get engaged in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he was given both him and Aholiah, son of Ahisamach, I know I misspelled that, but it's all good, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers of all of them, master craftsmen and designers." God empowered them. He didn't empower them to preach or be prophets or pastors or kings or priests. He empowered them to be able to sow things and to be able to cut stone. Divinely empowered him. They weren't just good. I'm I'm sure there were a lot of people they could have hired. They could have got some hired hands. But for God's temple, we didn't want hired hands. We wanted someone that was divinely anointed, divinely empowered by the spirit of the living God to do, to sew the curtain and to cut the wood. You know, an interior designer can go into your house and they can just look at your house like some of us, some people are gifted. They've never been to school or trained, but they just know how to look at an empty room and just make it look fabulous. Right? An interior designer can go in the house and they can make it look wonderful. They got vision. They know how to set it up. That's how these men were, but they were anointed by God. It didn't come through their trade. Or practice, it came through the power of God. And so they were able to do everything that had to do with carrying the tabernacle, constructing the ark, the curtains. A lot of the times when we think of people that are anointed, immediately we think of preachers. You know that 80% of you are not going to be full-time paid pastors or clergy. Full-time itinerant preachers and revivalists and evangelists. 
But all of you have been given by God. You've been created by God and empowered to do something that is going to bring glory to his name. All of you. All of us. God anointed them. He filled them with the Spirit of God. He gave them skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. But not only that, they also had the ability to teach other people. Certain people will try to teach you how to do something, and you're like, what? And somebody else just in fight, just do da, 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 da. Like, ah, I get it. You listen to John Maxwell. He's, he's, uh, he's been gifted to be a leadership speaker. Listen to it. Go on YouTube and type in John Maxwell. Watch a five-minute video. I guarantee you'll be like, whoo, that boy is tight. To communicate in five minutes, it would take me probably two hours to communicate that to you. Because he's anointed for that. He's empowered. And these men were empowered. God has empowered each of us for a specific task. And as we discover that task, we will be great, useful, and joyful. Great, useful, and joyful. How many of you want to be great, useful, and joyful? I know I do. You've heard the saying that good is the greatest enemy of great. Good is the greatest enemy of great. Good is the greatest enemy of great. Let me give you a few examples. How many of you have ever heard of Dirk Nowitzki? Lift your hand if you've ever heard of Dirk Nowitzki. Not too many. All right, let me break it down for you. I'm a, I like sports, so God speaks to me a lot through sports. Right now, the NBA Finals, there's 32 teams in the NBA. Got that? Out of those 32, the best 16 go to a tournament. And they play each other, and they divide them into two brackets. And they play each other, eight on one side, eight on another side, until they all beat each other up, and the two best teams emerge to the top and play each other in the best of seven. First one to win four games wins the NBA championship. And that's what's going on right now. The Miami Heat are the best team in the Eastern Conference. The Dallas Mavericks are the best team in the Western Conference. And they are going at it to decide who's the best team in the entire NBA. And on the Dallas Mavericks, there's a player named Dirk Nowitzki, the best player on Dallas. Now, Dirk Nowitzki, in his career, he averages 23 points per game. In his career... His career high for one year, he averaged 26.6 points per game, which is really good. Really good. Dirk Nowitzki is also a career rebounder of 8.4 rebounds per game in his career, 12 or 13 year career. He averages 8.4 rebounds per game with a career high of 9.9, almost 10 rebounds a game which once again in the NBA is really good. 
He is a very good rebounder, but he's a great scorer. What if his coach told him, you know what, Dirk, we really need you to rebound. I mean, Dennis Rodman used to get 18 rebounds a game, and you're taller than him. He was 6'8", you're 7 feet tall. I mean, you know, we really need someone to go and get those rebounds, and you're good at it. You're really good at it, so why don't you improve that? Focus less on your scoring and begin to be a better rebounder. If that was to happen and he spent all or most of his energy trying to get rebounds, it would diminish what he's great at. He'd be good, probably a little better, but not great. You wouldn't, he would not be in the NBA Finals right now on the verge of winning a title. He would not be a future Hall of Famer if you told him stop scoring and start rebounding. In order for him to be great, he has to do what he's great at. What he, is, what he was, in a sense, created for. To score the basketball. Go score the basketball. That's what you're great at. Jerry West. Now I'm using a couple of terms, but I, I'm getting there. Don't worry. I'm going to bring it to other areas. Jerry West is a general manager for the Lakers, a great general manager. He has built teams up from the bottom like nothing. They were bad teams and built them up to be championship teams. And he talks about Irvin Magic Johnson. How many of you ever heard of Irvin Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. If you go to Starbucks, you know who Magic Johnson is. Or if you go to 24-Hour Fitness, you know who Magic Johnson is. He was a Hall of Fame point guard. I was listening to an interview the other day, and he was talking about having to make difficult decisions and sometimes trading good players so that your team can become better. And one of the examples he used was there was a player that used to play for the Lakers named Otis Nixon. Was a very popular player, very popular, very popular. His teammates loved him. The fans loved him, and he was really good. But when they drafted Magic Johnson, they tried to play together. And Otis Nixon would have the ball in his hands a lot. And Jerry West said this. He said, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do to trade him. But in order for Magic Johnson to reach his full potential, he needed the ball in his hands. He said, that, he said without the ball in his hands at all times, he would have just been Irvin Johnson. Good. Because he was good. Even with Otis Nixon, he was good. But he would have never been Magic Johnson. He said that when he had the ball in his hands, he went from being Irvin Johnson to Magic Johnson. And he knew that he had to put him in a position where he could succeed. There's a man by the name of William Booth. How many of you ever heard of the Salvation Army? Salvation Army. The founder of the Salvation Army, his name was William Booth. He was a great revivalist in the 1800s. In 1856, as he began his, his evangelistic campaigns, he went to a city in England called Leeds and saw 800 conversions to Christ in two months. Two months. He went to this city called Leeds, and in two months, he led 800 people to Jesus. And he had already built up a reputation. I'm just giving you like a, you know, a little taste. He had already built up a reputation, and, and now he's a full-time evangelist. He goes to this city, has a crusade for two months, 800 souls. And I'm not 
And this boy was hardcore. I'm not talking about 800 people came and said a prayer and got some cards. 800 conversions. If you read what they described as a conversion, it was a conversion. I mean, like you left your life of sin and you became an on-fire Christian. Those kind of conversions. 800. That's pretty powerful, huh? In two months. But because the Methodist convention did not agree with some of his methods and some jealousy among his superiors, in 1857 at the annual Methodist conference, the leadership voted to remove him from his full-time evangelist position and to focus all his, en- all his energies on a full range of pastoral responsibilities. He went from being a pastor or he went from being an evangelist to being a pastor. In one year of his pastoral assignment in the city of Gateshead, the, ch- the chapel in, in Gateshead, Bethesda Chapel, the church he pastored, went from a membership of 39 to 300 in one year. That's powerful. You go and become the pastor of a church with 39 people in it, and in one year you got 300 people. That, that's good, right? Yeah. Amazing results, right? Well, as an evangelist, he will convert 800 souls in two months. As a pastor, 261 in one year. You answer that. On a personal level, he felt restricted by all the responsibilities that their pastor entailed. So even though he was effective and by all means successful, not only was he not being fully effective, but inside he was wrestling. He was wrestling inside. The words of John Wesley would eat at his soul. There there were these rules that the Methodists had, that John Wesley had, and one of them was to win souls is your only duty. And that would eat at him every single day. We would look at him and say, man, bro, man, that church has been dead. And you're the pastor and it went from 39 to 300. You're successful. But not only was he not being fully effective, how many souls would he have won if he would have kept evangelizing? And not only that, in in his interior, he was not at peace. So after much prayer and wrestling, God finally told him to go back to soul saving and he put in his resignation as a pastor. Ultimately, he said, I got to obey God. (laughs) And he didn't just leave at the, I mean, he went, he submitted, he did everything, he wrestled, he prayed. It wasn't just like, I don't like this, I'm not useful, I'm out. I should be preaching, they got me washing, you know, washing dishes up in there. No, that was, he he served, he submitted, he was in prayer and he had people ministering to, you know, you don't understand I don't want you to take it the wrong way. So he goes back to being an evangelist. In August of 1861, he holds a seven-week revival campaign, a seven-week revival campaign that became an 18-month campaign in which 7,000 souls were gloriously saved. 7,000 souls gloriously saved. 
I'm talking about the bars were emptying. They said that the businessmen of the city, that the business uh, chamber of commerce meetings and all the things that were going on, they, like half the membership wouldn't even be there because they'd be in church. Revival, it talks, about, it talks about great move of the Spirit of God. He was a good pastor. I mean, you know, you could take a church from 39 and 300. You're a good pastor, but he was a great evangelist. What if he would have got comfortable and just said, you know, I'm good. Just, you know, God is really moving. You know what? I remember PB said this a while back about that scripture where it says that whatever it says, blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God ain't going to leave us hanging. Whatever we do will prosper. It's going to prosper. That's established. Of course he, he prospered. He's the son of Abraham. But he was just a good pastor, not a great one. Seven thousand souls in 18 months. Then he goes to another campaign, and in five and a half months, uh, 1,028 souls were saved. And the rest is history. After that, it just blew up. Everywhere he went, it was like Billy Graham. Anywhere he goes, 20, I mean, he can pack out the Coliseum. That's what he was in his time. He got so known he went from humble beginnings and eventually he was he was like like met the the the, he met the president and the king and they were asking him for counsel and the salvation army lasted for i mean it's still out there two almost 200 years later 150 years and his children, they became the found, they became, began to work in it and it prospered and thrived and it was lasting fruit in his life and in his ministry because he knew where he was great. He was divinely empowered, anointed evangelist. Mary's expensive perfume. Remember that story in the Bible? It says it was an expensive perfume. And the, and the, and the Bible, you know, uh, unless it's trying to use hyperbole, for the most part, if it tells you, you know, the uh, Bathsheba was very beautiful, she, it wasn't just hyperbole. It, she was fine. You know what I'm saying? All right. So when it says it was expensive and it expensive perfume, it wasn't like, $50 per, I mean, this was expensive perfume. And you know what she does with it? She brings it to Jesus and breaks it at his feet and begins to anoint his feet and his body with this expensive perfume. And the disciples saw it and they're like, what a waste. Man, you could have gave that to the poor. You know how many people we could have fed with that? There were a lot of things they could have did with that bottle of perfume. A lot of things. 
They could have sold it and gave the money to the poor. They could have went out and bought a house or, you know, supported, you know, somebody else's ministry for probably a year or two. But she breaks it and just puts it on his feet. But if they would have done that, it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have heard about it. If they would have sold it, got the money, and just went and fed all the poor for one day, we would have never heard of that story. God has anointed all of us. There's something specific that he has anointed us and empowered us to do. And we must see God and have him establish in us his calling and his purpose. I don't want to look back at the end of my life and say, I wish I would have did this. I wish I would have done that. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What could you give? I mean, you know, just even in my own life, and as I began, as God began to just take me through the ringer on this, I began to see areas where I put a lot of time and effort and other areas where I don't put as much time and effort. And God was trying to establish that I need to establish in myself, what have you called me to do? And it's not always measured by success or money. At the end of my life, you know, I may have $300,000 sitting in my bank and a couple nice how homes. But if my children don't serve the Lord, if I didn't fulfill the purpose of God in my life, you think I'm going to be thinking, look at all this I did. If I had relationships and friendships that I didn't cultivate, I remember me and him used to be really tight, but now we're not because I never spent time with him. Who cares? I mean, you know, first of all, let's, let's, let's get it out of our heads that success has anything to do with money or prestige. It says about Jesus, it was the Lord's will. It pleased him to crush him. Jim Elliott, they said it was a waste. A lot of Christians in a lot of Christian circles, they said that was a waste of a lot of godly young men. They just died out in the middle of nowhere. You would have never heard of him if that did not happen the way it happened. You know, a lot of the times we have an idea of what God wants or what we want. A lot of times we think it's God, but it's us. And let's just get it out of the, let's get it out of the way. And it's like, God, I just want what you want for me. Because that's where I'm going to be happy. William Wallace said, all men die, but not all men truly live. Teachers, apostles, prophets, teachers, businessmen, musicians, give yourselves fully to that which God has called you. On a personal level, I'm tired of giving my time to small things.
at the end, in November of last year, I had a $30,000, $35,000 surplus in my business. Five months later, I had a $25,000 negative. Money comes and goes. But you know what doesn't? My relationship with God, the things that God teaches me, the things he puts in my heart, my love for him. When I went through the hardest season of my life and people said I was cursed, people said that God was against me. I was every day for two years. I felt like somebody died. But God was with me during that time. Didn't matter. There's been times where I've had money in my bank and I was miserable inside. And there's been other times where I ain't had no money in the bank and I'm full of joy. And as Christians, we got to establish this in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes 10.10, it says, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. So we've already established that success is not measured in dollars and cents and notoriety, okay? But God does want you to be successful. You know that in Hebrews, it talks about these people. It says they wandered They wandered in the desert, in caves, in holes in the ground. They were sawed in two. They they wandered about in sheepskin, goatskins, destitute, broken. There was people, Christians, on fire Christians, that didn't have a house. They lived in a cave, in a hole. They were sawed in two. Their clothes were sheepskin, goatskins. It says they were destitute. But if you read that passage, what does it say? What does it say about them? It says the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. And it talks about God has prepared a city for them. And he's not ashamed to be called their God. God himself, God, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. That's success. That's true success. If the axe is dull, if you're spending your time on things that you're not anointed to, Most of your time. That's not good. You have to find out, God, what did you anoint me to do? And let me do that. So I can be skillful at that. Because then you'll get true success. Joy. You know, John Maxwell said this. He said, people don't pay for average. They pay for great and excellent. There's a player on the A's named Mark Ellis. He makes like a million and 1.5 million, which is really good. Alex Rodriguez makes 30 million a year. Why? Because he's excellent at what he does. Mark Ellis, not so much. So what's the heart of the matter? I want you to go to Ephesians 5, 15. 
Ephesians 5, 15. Like I said, I'm just pointing you to a website. This is not extensive at all. Don't go home. Don't go call your boss and be like, you know what? I'm better over here than this. I need to be, I need to be playing music and I'm over here typing. Don't, that's not at all. Okay? Don't be foolish. I know God called me to rap and so I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to go pursue. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'll let you and God work that out. That's not the point here. Ephesians 5.15, it says this. It says, be very careful then how you live. He said, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I like the way the King James says it. It says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming, buy back the time. Don't waste your time, you can say. Stop wasting your time because the days are evil. Stop wasting your time. I heard this man say, uh, he was talking about uh, pian- pianist. P- pianist, is that pian- p- I forgot how you say it, but basically piano players. And he was saying that great piano players don't have, when they start when they're young and they begin to play the piano, they don't get home from school and then they got to have a part-time job afterwards. Most piano players, their parents opened up opportunities for them to devote themselves four, five, six hours a day playing. Same with athletes. I used to know a young man, one of my friends growing up, uh, he didn't quite make it to the majors, but he made it to a really high, high level in the minor leagues. Made it to the trip, trip away, which is really good still. But all he would do, like since I knew him, everywhere he went, he had his glove and his ball. And all he wanted to do was go play, just swing the bat. Be walking down the street at the movies. We're waiting for the bus and he's out there just. <laughs> all the time. All the time. You don't understand all the time. The things that we devote and invest our life in is where we're going to get the reward from. And I don't want to invest my life. I I talked to a young man at this, uh, I did a revival or a a youth retreat. And one of the the kids, or actually he's one of the teachers, he had already graduated from college. And, um, you know, he was telling me how, you know, how he went to school and, you know, basically he got a degree in accounting. And uh, I said, what made you do that? And he was like, well, you know, everyone told me there's good money in it. And so I figured I'll do it. And I said, do you like it? He goes, I hate it, dude. I hate it with a passion. And, and he was in the middle of a process of discovering, of God discovery. I don't want to say self-discovery, God discovery. Of realizing there's other things I, I believe God's called me to do and I'd rather do. And he had to go through four years, and I'm, I don't know how many school loans he had to finally discover this is not what I want to do, and I hate it. Redeem the time, because the days are evil. God wants all of us to function where he's called us 
and empowered us and anointed us. And that only comes from God. Only God can show us that. Only God. And my prayer today, some of you already know, even as I'm talking right now, you it's like the spirit of God's got his finger on it already. And you're like, I already know, God, I hear you. And some of you are like, I don't know. And that's why it's, that's why accountability and headship and pastors and parents, you know, a lot of times we don't we think that because we're out of our parents homes, we don't have to listen to them. I know I was like that when I first got into trucking. My dad told me he was like I started making some money. You know, now I was the youngest truck driver in the port of Oakland. And he was like, he said, son, go buy a truck. Go buy yourself a good truck. Don't drive around hoopty trucks. Get yourself a good truck before you buy a car. I was like, whatever. Whatever. I'm going to just get me a hoopty truck. I'd rather, man, I, you know, work, that's just work. You know, I, I, you know, most of my life is spent outside of work. And, you know, I need a good, nice car, you know, for me and my family, you know. Went and got myself a car with a $567 payment and $300 insurance. Just wiped my budget clean. And so it was going good for a little while. I was making it, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, about seven months later, my truck breaks down, my Houthi truck. And because I had already been in the business for a little while, I was like, Man, I need, and then I had another friend who, from the beginning, when he first got his license, he was like, I'm going to buy me a good truck. I'm not messing around with no Houthi trucks. I'll be seeing how your truck always be breaking down, and I'm cool, man. I'm going to give me a good truck. And then at first I was like, whatever, dude, you spending 30000 on that? Man, I only spent 5000 on mine, and we make just as much. And then after I saw all the headache that I had to deal with over a few months, and then, all, like, I couldn't make as much because he further than I could and get better loads because his truck could handle it, whereas me, I was like, it might break down all the way, right? Finally, after God broke me, I was like, man, I need to invest in a good truck. My dad told me that. And so God's put people, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about, it talks about, I did not listen. I believe it's in Proverbs 5, I've come to the brink of utter ruin. And it says, you will look back at your life and say how I hated counsel and did not listen to my counselors. All of us have people in our life that God's put there. Parents, pastors, siblings, mentors. All of us have people that God's put in our life. And they're there to help us and guide us and show us. A lot of times we don't know the way and somebody else is able to say, I see this. My pastor, my pastor knew what I was called to do before I did. He used to tell me and I'd be like, nah, pastor, you tripping. You tripping. I don't see that. And so God, my prayer today is that God would just by the spirit of God reveal to us what it is that we need to devote our energies to so that we'll stop wasting time. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you, we, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. Father, my prayer today is that you would just show us the way. In Psalms 25, the Bible says, Who is he? That-